What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 186. This episode is brought to you by Shure Microphones. If you're not aware of Shure, they are one of the leading premier manufacturers of microphones, wireless microphone systems, in-ear monitors, earphones, and headphones. And what they want to make sure you're aware of is that you have until April 15th to enter the Drum Mastery Contest. So if you go to uh, drum-mastery.shure.com, what you're going to do there is you're going to enter by submitting a video of yourself performing. Um, on acoustic drum set, just play. It's open to anyone, anywhere in the world, any age. Um, so you just play by yourself, no other accompaniment, no loops, no tracks or anything. And then if you get a minimum of 50 votes, that will then qualify you for the next round of judging. Again, you have until April 15th to upload your initial video, and then the voting period ends May 6th. So here's the cool thing. The grand prize winner gets a five-day all-expense-paid trip to London where you get to spend one day in a master class with the great session drummer Ash Zone. And that'll take place at Metropolis Studios. And you so you also get a one-day drum miking workshop with a professional engineer at that studio as well. You'll also receive $5,000 worth of Shure products, and you'll be featured on the Shure Facebook page. The second and third place winners will get $3,000 and $1,000 worth of Shure gear, respectively. Um, and then anyone who wins for their country will get a uh, package consisting of a Shure MV88 Plus video kit, also a pair of SE215 Bluetooth earphones. So again, go to drum-mastery.shure.com. you get all the rules and requirements there. You can probably just Google Shure Drum Mastery Contest and you'll find it. Key dates to remember, April 15th is your last chance to upload a video. The voting period ends on May 6th. There'll be a short list of country winners and fan favorites announced on June uh, June 5th. And then July 9th is when the final uh, final winners are announced. So April 15th, put your video up. Have fun with it. Sure. Uh, Drum Mastery Contest 2019. All right, so let's get to the show. Our intro beat is by Anthony. So Anthony is playing a Thomas Star Classic. He has 14-inch Zildjian New Beat Hi-Hats, 20-inch Bosphorus Master Vintage Ride, 20-inch Peisty Full Crash. This was all recorded with the Behringer Euphoria USB audio interface. Again, thanks to Anthony. Let's check it out. Let's get the show going. It's not boding well for for Skype. I gotta say, FaceTime video is much more clear. <laughs> the only problem we've experienced, uh, right, is the fact that at some point around 38 minutes, you can't see me anymore. Yeah, and I'm what's just up with frozen. That? Anybody know? I don't what's know. Up with that FaceTime just blacks out after 30 minutes here. What's going on? <laughs> Come on, Apple, get with it. <laughs> could it, it could be my plan? I went to Walmart and got the data saver plan. <laughs> data saver. <laughs> How are you, bud? Good. Here we are, episode 186. It's been a strange, strange week of a lot of gigs for me. So I feel like I haven't mm. got anything accomplished, but it's weird. Like I feel like if I'm not practicing and developing new stuff, I'm not making progress. And I forget about the whole point of it is to go out and play in front of people. So then when right. I do a bunch of that, I'm like, ah, I'm not making progress. But you you play gigs. That's the whole point of it. It's weird. And that's a different kind of progress, too. I mean, that's... Yeah, you know, that's fine tuning your musicianship and your ability to do your job, yeah. which working on the craziest sticking pattern in your basement probably 
isn't really doing that. No. Um, I can tell you the one thing that's definitely paying off is all of the obsessive time practice has made me, mm-hmm. at this point, I don't freak out. Like, I played put a gig Wednesday night where my um, I'm playing to loops and stuff, and my okay. uh, the cable for my in-ears just shorted out. It just was jacked. So I just took them out and played to the monitors, and it was totally cool. I was okay with it. Wow. It didn't freak me out. Years ago, that would have derailed the entire gig. There were other things that made the gig not super fun, but that was the one thing like, okay, it's fine. I can hear the shaker enough. I'm good. Right. We're, we're, we can get through the show. That's awesome, man. It's crazy. That's, uh, yeah, that, that stuff can be tough. And for what I just finished doing in the UK, it's – it's funny because it's the same gig every night, really. I mean, the, obviously the education changes, but as far as my tracks, it's always the same. But sometimes I get there. I did one store uh, called PMT, which I guess is a full-blown chain over there. There's like 20 or 30 of them. Okay. But it's weird. It's it's a chain with a very, very mom-and-pop vibe. Like It's almost like the staff at each one of these PMTs is as close as if they owned it themselves. So when I walked in, it looked like I was at Mars Music. It was massive. But then as soon as I started talking to the employees and seeing the vibe they had, they were not big box store employees. These guys were invested in this place. Cool. So anyways, when I go to a place like that, they're like, what do you want, 60, 70 monitors? We've got, you know, I mean, it was like the, because they've got the whole entire store there to deal with it with a pro audio department compared to a drum shop that's like, well, my brother, my brother has a PA system. He should be here in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are you okay playing through a Roland amp? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Are you okay with it? I don't mind. I I had to do one where I had to play through a computer speakers once. That was, shut up. That was interesting. Those are the best. We were like, Little RCA cables. Uh, yeah, so I mean, going from that where I had the full setup, a full monitor mix and everything, then the next day I'm back at a drum shop where if I don't have, if I put both in ears in, I can't hear the drum set. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's something where you have to find ways no matter what the <laughs> elements are. I mean, gosh, how many of our listeners have written into us about, I can't keep my head in the game when i play an outdoor gig it's yeah. like yeah when when the elements change you still have to be you you have to trust in your body and hit the drums how you've always hit the drums yeah don't freak out you can't hear things yeah, uh, so i think only experience kind of gets you through that because what happened with absolutely. me was saturday we had a perfect gig where we had chance to sound check and the sound engineer was a friend so he made sure our monitors were really nice and he was on stage making sure everything was cool the show was great. We get to Wednesday, and it's one of those, like, you got five minutes. The band, before you finish, and they're taking forever to get off the stage, and you've got five minutes to plug in a ton of stuff. <laughs> you know, right. I've got trailers yeah. and everything. So, and the monitors just, and the band before us was super loud. We're not super loud. So the monitors were whack. I mean, wow. I felt like we were playing unplugged almost, but I oh. have, like, loops. <laughs> That's so tough, too, when so you're trying weird. to fight it. Because, I mean, you know, I think there's something inside of us as drummers and musicians that says, wherever you go that does this professionally, like whatever gig you're going to go play and whatever uh, venue you're at, it's going to be better than your practice space. And inevitably, it's not. No, it's almost never. <laughs> it's never, exactly. But you think like, but you guys, you guys have a budget for this. I had to get in a fight with my wife just to get this one little speaker. You guys have a whole thing. Why are you so bad at this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's the other thing too. If anyone listening is a sound engineer, you have so much control over the vibe 
of yes. the show that that you can really you can really harm a band's psyche by just being apathetic or like again I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus but Wednesday's sound engineer for whatever reason my multipad wasn't getting him enough signal and he immediately said there's something wrong with my multipad I'm like dude I this is a brand new multipad and I use it Saturday and it was hot like can you come right. down here and check something? Because it's not on me. But that's all he said was, right. can you give me any more level? You guys got to start. Just go. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. It's going to oh, be one worse. of those Wednesday night yep. shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is tough, especially when something on your kit. I mean, you and I have worked our entire careers to make sure that we are self-sufficient. But every once in a while, there is that one thing where it's like, no, honestly, I've gotten very. This is a big part of what I do. Yeah, uh, you know, even my sizes. I it's come down on my writer now. I'm so comfortable with my sizes, which shouldn't really matter that much. I mean, a couple inches here, an extra two inches on your floor tom. But I tell I, on my writer, it says preferred drum set. It goes Brooklyn USA Custom Broadcaster. That's my preferred shells. Here are my sizes. Sizes are priority over everything. Mm. Meaning. If you have to get me a Gretsch Catalina, a Gretsch Energy right, for three hundred and eighty six dollars, right <laughs> I will take that in the right sizes over a twenty six thirteen sixteen broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and so uh so yeah, it's it's just one of those things and, and I mean, with what you're doing, the multipad is not an accessory, it's part of your drum set. Yeah, and it, it was just I mean it didn't rattle me too much, but it kinda of rattled the whole band in general and it, right. it was just a simple thing like could you just come down just come down and take a look at it <laughs> Dude, and, I'll give you a dollar just yeah get your butt down it was here, also bro. the f- i didn't ha- I, I usually use my own di but he's like here's your di i'm like cool i'll just plug into that so somewhere between the output cable into the di into whatever happened it just wasn't enough signal but to say that you get your multi-pad checked i'm like what do you think i am like <laughs> this thing <laughs> is I'm a rookie? freaking new come on man <laughs> Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Anyway, you see we, my Instagram. We I'm had fun, it. but I'm just yeah, I just feel like relaying. Like Saturday, we felt great. Wednesday, it was like, oh, should we quit? It was one of those like, wow, yeah. that was so how quickly it can change. Yeah, absolutely, it's crazy. I, I, I totally get it, man. Well, I have to say, now that I'm back in the U.S., to everyone that came out to the clinics in the U.K., thank you so much. Uh, that is the fastest that any clinic tour I've ever done has sold out. Almost all the dates were sold out within a day or two of announcing, and this. The staff, the people, everyone I worked with was incredible. Uh, the minor, the way that they take care of me and send a parent out on the road with me, make sure I can get <laughs> checked into my hotel and tucked under my sheets okay. <laughs> I, uh, much appreciated. Uh, so I had a blast. But I have to say, when I got home, it was I had zero turnaround. I got home at about 9 p.m. at night, and the next morning at 9 a.m., Spencer Bowman got here, and he's a Sabian and Mapex artist from Canada, and he came here for a, almost like a private drum camp because he couldn't make it to drum camp this year, timing-wise, with his touring schedule. Mm. And he's kind of grown out of the camp thing. He's been to like five or six camps, but he needs some very personal attention instead of just showing up to a camp and seeing, I, I wonder what Mike's got cooked up for us this time. Yeah, This was Specific. like, no, I, I know what I want. So it was really cool to spend, I mean, about 10 hours a day with one drummer. And I thought I had set in stone based off of his requirements and what he wanted to get better at. I had a whole thing of education set up for him. And so much of that never happened because while going through little things or even just jamming to get our hands warmed up, we uncovered something where it was like, dude, Mm. what are you doing? 
That's you know, and we just found all these little cool things that uh, became a big part of his playing now. And most importantly, because he's always been a touring metal drummer, we really changed a lot in how he plays. Because now he's starting to get country gigs, he's starting to get pop gigs, he's doing clinics. Like I, I mentioned to you, he played at the Victoria Drum Fest, mm-hmm. and he's. I was. I'm, it was like, dude, you you have to play at least a little. There has to be a little more texture, a little more care. It doesn't have to be this loud all the time. And he wants that. But that's a hard thing. As someone that came from that world, it's very hard to stop relying on the physicality as your safety blanket. Right. Bludgeoning the instrument is the way that I got through knowing, like, it's like a machismo thing. Like, well, I'm hitting harder than you, so I'm good. Right, yeah. Which is crazy. We all know it's crazy. (laughs) But honestly, coming from that rock world, that was part of it. And because... If you think about a rock show, if, if you went to see Dave Weckl, you're not expecting a show. You're expecting to you're expecting music. But when you go to a rock show, you're also expecting a show. So part of playing the drum set is performing. And you, you lose the ability to play without swinging your arms and without performing and putting on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So now, like what I think the biggest revelation he had was, this is not the instrument that I play. I play something very different than what we're doing here with texture and, and watching Matt Chamberlain videos and Carter McLean videos. Yeah. And so, and I, uh, especially now that he's kind of getting into the country thing, I said, I think somewhere between you as a metal drummer and say Carter McLean as like a master of touch, somewhere in between those two is Shannon Forrest. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think where you're going to really find your home. And so it was, it was a blast. We had a really good time, three full days of that. And uh, and he came to CrossFit with me every morning at five thirty a.m. That's a good man. Goodness gracious, that's abuse, I man. <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> okay, so to clear it up for the people that wrote me on Instagram, I didn't drag him to CrossFit. He does it in Canada. Okay, I didn't. I didn't say if you yeah, want to study with me, push-ups and go yeah. work on our finesse. <laughs> exactly. I did not say you're doing burpees and then we're working on touch and feel. So, anyways, we had a great time. Uh, and I appreciate it. But just to be clear, that is not a service that I offer. I've known Spencer for a long time. This was like a personal favorite to a very good friend and somebody whose future I truly want to be involved with. So uh, please stop writing Amber and saying, hey, can I do the three-day, 10-hour-a-day <laughs> camp with Mike? How much is it? It's, it's not up for sale. All right. We've got a lot of stuff to get to. We've got to talk about feel and funkifying your swing feel. Yep. We're going to get to Mark Schulman. Uh, who is just somebody that's always been in the scene as a professional drummer. And I think we need to discuss what it's like to be a long-term pro instead of just have a quick rise and fall. In our gear section, we're going to be checking out the Pfeiffer snare drums, which I had never heard of them until your review. Mm. They're pretty awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll definitely dig into them. And they're just they're bizarre, but for a good reason. So there's a lot to talk about. All right, well, let's get into Funkifying Your Swing Feel. So this is the newest article by Steve Fiddick. And let me break down what is happening here because this is not something where you can skim it without reading the text. You need to know what's going on to create this very cool way to almost take a funk groove and end up end up in a jazz feel. Uh, so he's taking the funky drummer groove. And then step by step, he's going through this process to kind of almost jazz it up. Yeah. And it's weird, though. If you know the groove of Funky Drummer and if you know the backbeat and the ghost notes and everything, when you hear it as a swing beat, it still is totally singable. Like, it still all makes sense. You mm-hmm. can shuffle it and it makes tons of sense. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it really kind of ties in the connection between R&B and jazz, and really the language is all the same. It's just sometimes the the center of the timekeeping is on the ride symbol, and but it's all intertwined, um, which I think is important if we don't you know compartmentalize and say, well, I want to learn funk, I want to learn jazz. You're just kind of learning the language, and then it all becomes interchangeable. Uh, I used to do that a lot with uh, Max Roach comping. I would do the opposite. I would take Max Roach comping and turn it into like a syncopated funk thing. And it almost mm, okay. to a fault worked like perfectly. Kind of spelled like a jungle drum and bass kind of a, a vibe. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, I, it, it's, it's something where I think because of the title of the article, I thought he'd be taking Funky Drummer or any, you know, James Brown 16th note groove and just, kind of swinging it swinging it yeah <laughs> that's what i thought this was going to be and then all of us and so i got to exercise to uh which is kind of cool i mean it's it's putting it into this halftime feel but it does change what's going on in your mind you know if, if i'm playing uh oh ba, ba, uh, ba, 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 and then just jump into uh 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 uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, uh it's it's a whole different thing and then Shuffling that ride cymbal pattern, now it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Then the quarter note thing on the ride, uh, then it's an independence exercise because nothing, you know, you've got quarter notes on the ride. I, I've never seen this approach to a funk groove before, and I thought it was really interesting, especially as someone that notes are notes. The, the language is the language, but how you convey that language to another person, to me, that is the art that I'm interested in. Yeah. And I haven't seen this approach before. Like if somebody says, take a stick control and then do the do do It's like, yeah, yeah, man. I had the same teacher as you did, bro. Like, that's nothing new. This is actually kind of new. I've never seen this before. No, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a... I guess you could apply it to any 16th note groove. So if it goes through sure. the step-by-step, what, what Steve is doing, he takes a 16th note funk groove. In this case, it's Funky Drummer. The first thing he does is turn all the 16th notes into 8th notes. So now you're looking at it and you're thinking of it in halftime sort of a feel. So that just kind of slows down the spacing of the bass drum and the snare drum. And then you swing it with a shuffle feel and the ride cymbal. So it still kind of feels like a groove, per se, you know, right. quote-unquote. But it, it's now it's shifted into the swing feel, and then he changes the ride symbol to just quarter notes, more like a Jimmy Cobb on Kind of Blue kind of a vibe. That which I think that's when it says, okay, you're not playing funk anymore. Now this is a comping pattern. That's like the full right. on uh, morphosis. And then he changes it to a regular swing pattern, and then he starts doing kind of more contemporary jazz things, like following, like filling in the gaps with the ride symbol where the snare and bass drum are yeah playing. exercise six is really cool i really dig that a lot um, that, that one's good and it's, especially if you start getting into like some up tempo stuff not accenting the left hand very much it's going to just be really hip comping yeah exactly and then you start playing this, the ride cymbal and snare drum in unison which is more of a roy haynes tony williams kind of vibe so he's kind of getting into pretty contemporary jazz interpretation without changing the actual bass drum and snare drum part which I think is super cool, and you could—I think again—you could apply that to any 16th note funk group. Just go through whatever repertoire you have, and just try that process. Play it in halftime, shuffle it, change the ride symbol to swing, and then explore other interpretations of whatever your favorite jazz drummer might be. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, if you think for those listeners out there that are listening to this without 
seeing the notation and you're yeah. like, I've, I'm just on a run right now. You guys are literally just putting me to sleep. So if you think about having just that switch, yeah. it's still there. You can still sing it. Um, but it's such a different way of getting there. Uh, I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, and it's a good and entryway. And if, you, if you're not comfortable playing jazz or the whole idea of, of comping, just take something you already know and swing it and kind of change right. up the interpretation. And now you've got vocabulary. It's based on what you have already knew, which I think is the right. whole point of this. Like we all kind of, these days, we learn funk stuff before we get into jazz in most cases. So how do you make right. that shift? Agreed. We'll just play what you already know, swing it, and then start to break it up a bit so funny i always feel the same what you just said is how every time somebody says well how do i do like tom grooves like take yeah. your right hand put it on the floor tom <laughs> right. any note that's not two and four put it on the rack tom with your left hand it's like play the same it's groove you've always played language that's, that's yeah exactly yeah. just move over there <laughs> awesome well everyone uh definitely check out this article uh this is called Funkify Your Swing Feel. It's in the Jazz Drummer's Workshop in the current issue of Modern Drummer with Mark Schulman on the cover. It's by Steve Fittick, and I think it's just a, a great way. Like I said, we all have access to the exact same information, the exact same language, but to me as an educator, the art is in how we convey that information to someone else, and I thought he did a great job. So, All right, let's talk about Pink's Mark Schulman. What I've seen, and you might know the answer to this, but from what I've seen of Pink's touring, because my wife has seen Pink maybe four times or five times now, uh-huh. uh, it's always been Mark Schulman on drums, or at least it has been for quite a while. It seems like he's been her live drummer for quite a while. Do you know, is he just one of many guys that rotates in and out? No, he's the guy. It's been over okay. 12 years <clears throat> as the drummer. Wow. I think okay. he might even be the musical director of her band, but he's he's been her her backbeat for 12 years every tour that i can think of maybe early on he wasn't think think about how much has to go right for you as a player and a person yeah to keep a gig with and i can only imagine just from what we've seen i've never met her but from what we've seen on tv and everything i can only imagine pink has her own ups and downs Mm. but to stay there and not get fired and not be i mean at some point someone has to pressure her and be like hey can you get a new band yeah, but you're yeah. still there. That means that you must be just the cream in the coffee, just calming the situation down, always professional, always on time. I mean, that's like the mark of a true professional. Yeah. I mean, he's got, I mean, he put out a DVD, gosh, it was a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago. It was the first one that I saw that focused on, like, what does it mean to be a contemporary drummer in today's day and age as far as having to have okay. your own studio so it was basically like i have a home studio let me show you what i did to set it up and what my plane needs to do in order to be you know, hireable in this world okay so it's like his drumming to me represents he got rid of all the the fun and games what do you actually have to be good at and not just good at what do you have to actually be great at like right controlling time controlling dynamics and playing the parts being professional you know, just yeah. knowing the material inside and out, like all the stuff that we think, of course, but he's really like adamant about those skills, especially the time thing. He, he even tells a story. Uh, I think it's in his cover story where he, he didn't get a gig because his time was a little screwy. 
I think it might have been really? Foreigner the first time because he's been, gosh, if you look at his resume, he toured with Richard Marks, Foreigner, Simple Minds, Billy Idol, Stevie Nicks, Sheryl Crow, Cher, Velvet Revolver, and Pink. So it's, he's kind of been like the guy in that touring, big, big budget touring world for a while. Yeah. But he tells a story about he lost an audition because his time was a little suspect. And he went home and said, well, that will never happen again. So let's figure this out. Yeah. And he did. I mean, he's he in, in this video, in that video, it's called A Day in the Recording Studio. He shares a couple simple things that he did the work on time. But you can tell that, like, he's really serious about it. He's memorized tempos. Mm-hmm. Like, how many of us can say we've memorized tempos? No. <laughs> if it's not completely divisible by, by my own heartbeat, I have no shot. Yeah, exactly. So if you yeah. say 83, I'm in some trouble. Right. And 111. Then, yeah, and, and why 83 and not 85? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> what is the difference? 83 scares the hell out of me. 85 is totally tangible. Yeah. yeah <laughs> For no <exactly>. reason. <laughs> well, I think the other thing that I really, that blew me away is the fact that he studied with Louis Belson's brother. And that, and it mentions in the article that he was a huge Buddy Rich fan. So to be a fan of big band drummers, and also it mentions that he was a huge fan of Mitch Mitchell, which I see that influence in him for sure. Yeah. But it's weird because I see the control of somebody that must have loved the flawlessness of Buddy Rich, but I see the bombastic side of somebody like Mitch Mitchell that almost seems out of control until you try to play along with it and you realize he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And Mark definitely has that. But to, to be a fan of big band world and then eventually study with uh, Henry Belson. That's pretty awesome. And I think it mentions even that he studied with Freddie Gruber. So he's, he's had some pretty amazing influences in his life. Yeah. He's been a serious, serious drummer, but I think he never lost the vision of, well, I'm here to perform. I got to make sure I put on a good show. You know, he's, he's got that side of it too. So he's kind of a, a triple threat. He's also one of the most energetic people. You just can't help but like, smile when he's around so that yeah can't hurt to just be one of those really fun people to be around yeah i think if you had a drum clinic with mark shulman and rich redmond on the same festival you'd be in a little bit of trouble because <laughs> it'd be so like no matter how good of a person you are you'd look like a jerk compared to those two guys <laughs> they probably make each other cry it like cancels each other out <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're just both silent they're like i don't know how to deal with this uh but no it, it's something that i think is if you just go and watch a bunch of – literally get a Pink concert uh, from iTunes and just watch what – put yourself in those shoes. That's what I'm always doing. If I'm watching Brian Fraser Moore with Justin Timberlake, if I'm watching Mark Shulman with Pink, I'm thinking about, okay, what did the drummer just do to cause this chain of events? How many triggers had to happen? Mm-hmm. It all has to go with the lighting rig. Do I think Mark Shulman is a pro? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Um, but no, I'm, I'm watching it and just going, <laughs> I, seriously, I, I need to do one of those once a week because it's just yeeks. Anyways, um, and people keep sending me clips of it, by the oh, way. Oh, goodness. They keep sending me like oh, interviews that it? someone did. Oh. No, of someone else doing it, they're like, it happened. I'm like, it happens in every interview. It's horrible. <laughs> Anyways, when I'm watching uh, the a Mark Shulman concert or a Pink concert, excuse me, I'm always thinking like, how much stuff besides playing a beat and some fills is the drummer responsible for, for yeah. here? And that's why he's had this gig for 12 years. Is you Even if you could play his drum parts, you can't play this concert like unless you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's a show. It's almost more like a, like a Broadway production. Did you fall down? No, my mic almost <laughs> fell over. Sorry about that. But I did see the last tour, and it was, I mean, she's like hanging from freaking 
like right. trapeze and stuff. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. crazy what's going on. And she doesn't. Yeah. I mean, there's no. There's she sings every song, so it's the band is performing. There's no like. Yeah, you can hear her going out of breath as she's flipping yeah. over and over <laughs> and over. And over. <laughs> 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 well, the other thing too is when you watch it, and I mean, I think any big budget, whether it's Taylor Swift or Justin Timberlake or Pink, they're all similar. But it's a Vegas show as far as it's two and a half hours of choreographed music where it's not just playing the songs. It's she's talking to the crowd, but even the part that she's talking to the crowd is choreographed for him to have these hits that he has. To, like yeah. you take no time off in a gig like this. No, it's the real deal. He's. And he's just fun. That's that's kind of what I always want to remind myself. Just have fun. Wear some crazy clothes. Just do something to just make it fun. And sometimes that's more important than the playing. You know, but yeah. he's able to also just be an insanely badass drummer. But Absolutely. yeah, I gotta work on the fun factor. Maybe I need to spike. I was my gonna hair say, I cannot imagine you wearing <laughs> something crazy. Anything crazy. I have and nothing like, but respect for hey. guys like Mark who like this is the gig. This is what I have to do. I'm going to do it. And and when he does it, it's it feels natural. You know what I mean? Like oh, absolutely. Well, that's that's why he has this gig is because I mean maybe there are a couple hundred drummers that could play this gig, but if they tried to be Mark, they'd be faking it. This is who he is. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's the same thing when you meet Rich outside of him holding a pair of sticks and being on a kit. He's full Rich Redmond the whole time. Mark <laughs> is the same way. And then there are other people where it's like, oh, this is why you're a session drummer. Your personality is perfect for this. You do your job. You get out of the way. And and you're happy to not be on the road for the next 11 months supporting that record that you just recorded. So I think it's really important. And we can kind of wrap the Mark thing up here. But it's very important for all of you young drummers. And by young, I mean how long you've been playing. Try your best to dabble in everything that this world has to offer so that you can find out which one you're most passionate about. If you get a chance, you know, and I know a lot of you might not have the opportunity to do this, but if you get a chance, try to work in a retail shop. See what it's like to be involved with gear day in and day out. Definitely, even if you have to pay for it yourself, which most of us definitely did in the beginning, book some sessions, even just to record yourself in a real studio, but see what it feels like to be in the studio, put on some headphones, record to a click, and then go sit on the couch in the in the control room and that's an environment like losing daylight for 11 hours <laughs> right. it's a thing right <laughs> so try that and then if you can even if it's your local band just book a five or six day tour and dabble in everything that drumming has to offer and find out which one you're the most passionate about don't worry about the one that you're the best at you can always get better at anything but you can't grow passion for something so with this, I think Mark is in the perfect place. He could easily just be a 24-7 session drummer, but he loves being on the stage, and you can see it when he's performing. Yeah. It's not, yeah. oh, man, how many more days until we're off? So pretty yeah. cool stuff. It's true. So, yeah, check out the story. It's in the May issue. Uh, believe it or not, it's his first cover story. Wow. He had to wait quite a few years to land that cover. <laughs> so. He's probably not listening to this right now because he's so pissed. <laughs> no, no way. He's been nothing but great. He's a good dude. I've met him a few times. He's he's one of the good guys for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, everybody. Well, you can read more about that, like I said, in the current issue of Modern Drummer. And if you're having trouble finding it, it's the one that he's on the cover of, which is <laughs> <he's> well-deserved. <laughs> All right, so we've got uh, Shore sponsoring the episode this week, and they wanted to make sure everyone listening is aware that they are running what they're calling the Drum Mastery Contest. 
uh, it launched actually at the Winter NAM show, but there's still today is April 5th. You have 10 days. You have until April 15th, tax day, to uh, get your application in for this contest. So a little bit of the details. So they are accepting applications from drummers from uh, all independent drummers all around the world can enter. You just go to drum-mastery.shore.com. I'm sure if you just Google Shore Drum Mastery Contest, you'll find it. But again, the address is drum-mastery.shore.com. Um, you, you upload a video of yourself playing there. And what happens is uh, you have to get 50 votes to then qualify for the official judging by the actual judges. And that voting period is open until May 6th. So you have until April 15th to upload your video. And then the voting process, which you can campaign to all of your friends and family to vote for you, you have until May 6th. And then they will select a finalist from each country. And that gets entered into another round. So it goes on and on and on. The panel of judges that are on the um, All-Star Committee are Ash Sohn, Taylor Gordon, Tobias Derer. Don't know him. Sorry, from Germany. Um, and a few others. So there's Ash from the UK, Taylor from the US, Tobias from Germany, Takashi from Japan, and Shiguan from China. Nice. So they will pick three finalists. So it keeps going and going and going. So the grand prize winner gets a five-day all-expense-paid trip to London, uh, a one-day masterclass with Ash Sohn, um, and then a one-day drum miking workshop at a at the studio Metropolis Studios. In London. Oh, nice. You also get $5,000 worth of Shore products. Um, you'll be featured on Shore's Facebook page. And then the second and third place winners get $3,000 and $1,000 worth of gear from Shore. Wow. Pretty cool. All country winners and fan favorites will get a Shore MV88 Plus video kit and uh, SE215 Bluetooth earphones. So it's worth it. Just put a video up. Go to drum-mastery.shore.com. Enter, you have until April 15th to put your video up. And it can be anybody. There's no age limits. It's just anyone who wants to enter, go do it. Boom. Love it. All right. Well, let's get into some gear. Uh, so I had never heard of the Pfeiffer Drum Company. Checked it out today. Went on their website. And uh, it's really cool stuff. So Pfeiffer is spelled P-F-E-I-F-E-R. And I'll remind you of this at the end, but you can visit their website at pfeifferdrumco.com and the first thing that took me by surprise was before I even heard the sound was the price that I was looking at Yeah, uh, these are totally they are professional level and they're priced professionally but they're affordable compared to some of the boutique things we've seen that are just a, a little bit cost prohibitive yeah, so a little background on Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer is owned by Darren Pfeiffer. He is a longtime touring and session drummer. He was in Hollywood Undead for a long time. He's invented his own metronome app. Um, he's a drum collector. He's he's one of us. Um, okay. I met him years ago when he was in Hollywood Undead, and then he started a drum company, and I saw his drums. I think it was at PASIC maybe the first time. Um, actually, he came out to a clinic and brought one of his drums. and it was just It's just a good totally pro, ready-to-be-used drum. But what's crazy about it, he's got two things that we featured. The September series is nine lugs, which is odd. Oh. And the snare wires are offset, so there's a 13-inch snare wire assembly on a 14-inch drum, and they're nine lugs, 
instead of eight or ten. Okay. Does he have a reason for this? Yes. So that's what I mean. Like he's 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 a nerd for this stuff. So the nine lugs keeps so there's not no two lugs across from each other that would cause any tuning issues or cancel the, each other out. Okay. So you, you know when you, you know, sometimes you adjust one tension rod, the one across from it gets tighter too, even though you didn't touch it. Uh, so similar to the Gretsch using five lugs on a rack tom. Exactly. So you've gotcha. got more even tension as you're tuning, so you're not affecting the other lugs as much. Um, right. Uh, as a result, he has to use claw hooks. So there's no. It's a it's a straight hoop with claw hooks. I don't think anyone makes a nine lug hoop. Maybe they will soon. But Yet. so that's the concept with the nine lugs, and then the offset wires. Um, it gets the wires off of the center of the head. So it doesn't deaden the bottom head quite as much. Okay. And um, all that kind of quirkiness aside, when I played this drum, I immediately said, this is one of the most perfectly sound. I mean, it's perfectly responsive and, and dynamic and sounds great. And I can tune it all kinds of different ways. It's like a all-purpose, does-everything maple snare drum. Okay. So it worked. I mean, it totally, and it tuned easily. Um the, so the only real thing I saw in the article, as you just mentioned, and I think this needs to be mentioned to anyone that's looking at buying a single-flanged hoop drum, is those claws, you do have to position the snare properly so that they're not right where your backbeat is and so you're hitting them with your stick. Yeah, because the, the, the top of the tension rod does stick above the hoop a little bit, and right. that's a weird sensation when you smack the top of a yes. tension rod. <laughs> and that... Just so you guys know, that would be the same if you got a single flange hoop drum with claws from the 1940s or 20s. It's it's yeah. it's something that you deal with because I have quite a few drums that are single flanged. Um, now, you and I have talked a lot about the single flanged hoops, kind of causing the drum to to spray a little bit and be completely wide open. But these look a little; they don't look like I don't want to be rude, but they don't look like janky single flange hoops. They look pretty nice. Yeah, um, I don't know what a what a what an old school uh, straight hoop thickness is, but this is four point five millimeters, which sounded like okay. pretty pretty dense, pretty thick. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, I didn't know the drum. I didn't notice any old school vibes with this drum. Gotcha. At all? You want to check well, it out? Let's give it a listen.
that sounds like a super versatile drum. Yeah. Uh, the the overtone is definitely, and maybe this is because of the offset snares, but there's a decent amount of overtone for sure. And I know for any of our new listeners, Mike always plays these drums wide open, no dampening. So just know that you could throw one little half of a gel on there and the, the overtone would be gone. But uh, the overtone was very present, but mm-hmm. it was pure. Yeah, it's it's clean and it's it's manageable. You could tune it out if you needed to. I think just detuning, and I also don't try any crazy tuning things. That everything is evenly up and down, which makes the tone more prominent. I think if I would have detuned one lug, that would have just disappeared. It just would have folded into the yep. sound of the drum. Right. And this is a maple drum. Yeah, green jingles like cut into the shell, which is super cool. Mm. Yep, the one that he sent for me to test out. Is just this mammoth 16-inch drum. <laughs> 16. Yeah. But you know what? It's I was able to fit it in a DW9000 snare jump stand. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to fit it in anything. Oh, really? It opened up just fine? Yeah. Because it, it has triple flange tubes, so it's not like extra mm-hmm. wide beyond yeah. being 16 inches. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay, so this is a mahogany shell. Um, yep. It's got re-rings on it, um, round over bearing edges, so totally different. This is a completely different drum. This isn't the 16-inch version of what you just played. No, this would be the super dark, fat, you know, huge snare drum sound. So it wouldn't be, I don't think, for most people, a primary snare drum. It would probably be a secondary snare drum, either to the left or the right of your kit. Right. Uh, But it did something in that super low tuning that I don't think I've heard from any 13 or 14-inch drum. But well, let's hear it. Oh, we're not hearing it. Yeah, well, I want to hear the whole thing, though, because it also, I mean, high, medium, it sounded like a snare drum. Okay. So let's just keep in mind this is a 16-inch drum. So, so it goes from high down to medium and then super low with a wallet dampening at the super low. Ooh. low it sounded to me like a tape that had been slowed down yeah yeah good call it sounded like a sample yeah sure yeah so it'd be a fun auxiliary drum uh but i was really just impressed by how it sounded like a drum when i tuned it up higher Mm -hmm. yeah well and i mentioned in the beginning the price but the first drum he played the 14 by six and a half Excuse me, six and a half by fourteen. Six, six by fourteen. September. Like series. I said, six by fourteen. Nine, <laughs> nine lugs, Dawson. Uh, that is uh, six forty nine. Yep. So, like I said, totally. In my mind, that's an affordable professional drum. Yep, totally. And then the uh, the generation uh, six and a half by sixteen is six ninety nine. Yep. So once also. again, affordable in that world. Yeah, uh, and so. Very cool stuff. Yeah, so please go check out his his site. Um, like I said, support him. He's one of us. He's longtime drummer, drum nerd. Just he's trying to give working drummers options that that you know you can actually go out and really play and not have to worry about them. Uh, but they sounded great, super pro. 
Uh, he's also one of the good dudes, one of my favorite people. I am highly interested in the 5x14 aluminum snare. That thing looks epic. Yep. Uh, it's only 419 uh, That's what I'm really blown away by is uh, great prices on this stuff. So, all right, everybody, check out Pfeiffer. Right. That's what? I'm going to interrupt you. I forgot that he just uh, – this is something we've had people ask us about, mixing Oh, hoops. if he sent me one? No, yeah, no. He mixing, did. He's no? offering – you can you get – should. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He just he just announced that he's doing a, you know a triple flange drum, but it'll be the thicker triple flange on top and a thinner triple flange on bottom. So oh, again he just, he's been experimenting with this kind of stuff to figure out what makes a drum sound best: diecast on top, triple flange on bottom, all these little things that you can you know that this is a working drummer who's tried everything and he's just trying to give some cool stuff for us to check out. Awesome. Very cool. So check out PfeifferDrumCo.com. That's P-F-E-I-F-E-R DrumCo.com. All right, buddy. You ready to get into some listener questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Got a stack of them here. Maybe we can get through a handful of them. This one's from Tim. What are the do's and don'ts of counting in a band? Do you count the four and we all come in? Do you count the two and then do a fill and we all come in? Do you count the four and do a fill for a measure and then they all come in? No. <laughs> I had a problem with this exact same, this exact thing with uh, one of the songs because this, this band I played two shows with, we didn't rehearse. It was just learn the material and play the gig. Uh, but there's a couple spots where there's rubato sections and we got to come okay. back in like all together with a big loud downbeat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how are we going to count it? In one song, you can count it in three or you can count it in six. It depends on how you perceive the downbeat. So I was feeling it with a 16th note subdivision, counting it in three, and someone else in the band was feeling it in it with a triplet feel as a six. Oh, wow. So how do you count it back in? <laughs> I think I usually just shout, now! Yeah, I literally had to do like one, <laughs> two, three, go. <laughs> <laughs> go. Because you, I mean, I you think can't you just like drop a, the song. If you learned it one way, it's like I'm going to count yeah, you yeah. in with a different subdivision. It was it was a bit of a disaster waiting to happen for sure. Well, you didn't drop a like that on them. So <laughs> so what is the uh, do's and don'ts of counting? I think for me, I think the fewer numbers, the better. I've mm-hmm. seen that. Like if you count to four and then you play something for an entire measure, no, that's no. not going to work. I, I'm I'm pretty used to one, two, and then I fill three and four. Like, oh, two, a flat, doom, gotcha, doom. Mm-hmm. If, if that's how I need to get us in. Um, and then the other thing, too, is, uh, and this m- isn't exactly counting in, but I know that when there was a break in, the, in between songs and the singer was maybe speaking to the crowd, I would usually get maybe two and four going very quietly on my left foot mm. of what the next song was so the band could at least get the tempo and the feel in their head before I had to count them in. Uh, so I, I would subtly let them know where we are going to be uh, without you know playing a quiet groove. But uh, So yeah, so I think it's, it's tougher when you've never rehearsed with the band. Uh, there are times, I will say this, there are times where I literally will tell the people in a quiet voice what they're about to get. Like if it's a song in six, eight, it's tough. If you do the four five, six and come in, but you don't say it. If you go ding, ding, ding. And then you hit the one. Yeah. They're like, well, that was three. So I might say, I'm going to give you four five, six, just quietly right before I go. Duh, duh, duh. And then we're in. Um, 
So sometimes you just have to say it. I mean, I, to me, the song is more important than avoiding, in, avoiding any kind of embarrassment of, oh my gosh, I communicated with my musicians on stage. Yeah. I'm not really yeah. that concerned with that. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason, unless it's part of the show, to be like secretive of your count-ins. Well, yeah, and if, it's, and if that's part of the show, then you've probably rehearsed with the band. But if, if, I, if I just show up and it's a pickup gig, I have no problem saying like, uh, dude on keys looks a little shaky. I know this song's in seven, but I'm going to count you in in four because I don't think he'll come in after I say, oh, yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Ugh. So it's like, two, it's- three, four. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one, too. I've had that a couple times where, where some of the guys and girls in the band, they actually they, they want to hear it in the, the time signature of the song, which isn't, that's against my intuition. I just say, one, two, three, four, let's go. I mean, just... Right, you count to four, no matter what. But yeah, right. so I think you have to have conversation. I, for me, I don't want to count any more than one measure. If, I, if I'm playing I totally a fill agree. that leads into it, then I'm going to fill within that one measure count in. Yeah, That's, I agree. And if the singer is a tap dancer, then you go five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> whatever. Does that make? Why do they do that? Do you know? I don't know. I haven't asked any a choreographer. I should ask because it's you should. That's, that's so weird. the weirdest thing ever. It makes no sense. <laughs> Five, I'm pissed. Six, All right, seven, seven, eight. <laughs> like, and then from then on, we never make it up to those numbers. Why? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm here, hopefully, someone listening will know the answer. But my hypothesis is most of the dance steps are probably in eights, eight counts. Okay, so rather than count that the long eight, to get they just do it. the half. Sure. Second, <laughs> it's like a twelve-eight blues. It, it takes that long to get through the progression. Yeah, exactly. All right, next Even question. They just count the three. Go. This one's from Dan. Um, I won't be able to answer this. Maybe you can. So he says, um, I just listened to the episode where you discussed shotgun mics, and it got me thinking about other ways to get high-quality audio directly into a DSLR camera. Okay. I've done some research, and it seems preamps are available, but I'm wondering whether my standard USB audio interface would do the same job with the right adapters. He has a Roland Duo Capture EX. I don't know what that okay. is, unfortunately. So let's just assume he has a two-channel interface mm-hmm. and he wants to go out of that into the mic in so i used to actually have to do this back in the old days with my rca video camcorder so i would go out of my mixing board quarter inch out then that quarter inch cable goes into an eighth inch adapter which then goes into the mic in of the camera the only thing you're going to have to deal with here is getting into the settings of your dslr to be able to adjust the input uh if it if you just go straight out of a, out of your preamp into that camera, it's going to blow it up. So you have to either tell it to auto adjust the volume that's coming in, uh, or to or set it at low input. Uh, so, but it should it should be fine. Uh, the only thing that you're dealing with in that situation is all you're going to get is a raw microphone. You're not getting to mix that first. Mm-hmm. So. It would be better if you I, you don't need an interface for to go from your microphone to a camera. You need it would be better to have a small mixing board that at least had high, mid, and low on it, so you could kind of pre-mix it before it hits the memory card on the camera. So, did you ever have any issues with the, um, your camera just being noisy? I've had questions about that, like trying to do this very thing into a Canon. I think it was a T three I, and it was just noisy. Right. Like the audio, no matter what, was noisy. Yeah, and a lot of times that's because they're putting on their massive compressor, and so it's bringing up 
all the noise and then squashing the volume. And so that's why it's not the best idea. Mm. It is possible for sure, but uh, I haven't tried it in a really long time. But I will say this. I mean, I, I use that shotgun mic all the time, and there's zero noise on it. So, I, And if you don't want to get the Audio-Technica shotgun mic, I have most of the vloggers out there are using the Rode video mic. Uh, the Rode, I think it's just called the Rode Video Pro, and it comes with a big dead cat. Um, what? I just don't know what that is. <laughs> dead cat? You don't know what a dead cat is? Uh, what? Well, anyways, I'm starting my new video podcast <laughs> where I don't have to explain these things. No, uh, so a dead cat is that uh, fluffy thing that goes on the microphone that knocks the wind down. That's called a dead cat? Mm-hmm. Man, that's so insensitive. <laughs> oh, really? Cat gut snares? How many of those do you own? Skins? <laughs> Got a live goat on your damn drum. Oh, I saw a dead cat the other day. A coyote had eaten it. And it's insides out. That was awesome. There you go. You just cut off the tail, clean it out, throw it on top of your microphone, you're good to go. Anyways, PETA, I'm kidding. Uh, the dead cat is not real fur. It's just It just knocks the wind noise down so you can speak to the camera while vlogging. So the Rode VideoMic Pro would be great, or you could use the Audio-Technica that I've recommended in the past. All right, this one is from Scott. I'm seeing more and more 12 my by nine inch toms uh specifically from dw but other brands as well i thought 12 by 8 was the standard so are shops ordering this size or is it becoming more common his concern is that with using a 22 inch bass drum that that extra depth can be a bit of a problem i agree um i think you just have to know why you want the nine inch depth in the first place i remember making a switch and i don't know if you remember this but this was taylor hawkins in alanis morissette's band era Mm-hmm. So this has got to be 15 years ago. But I remember making the switch as a DW artist to 7-inch depth with zero information of why I was doing it. It just looked cooler to me. <laughs> and I didn't know what it was doing to the drum. I just thought, oh, well, I have a 22-inch kick with a 12 by 7 I can get my – or a 7 by 12 I can get my drum completely flat. So what would be the benefit of going from 8 by 12 to 9 by 12 sonically? I don't know. I don't, you know what? I'm in – Working with vintage drums, I don't even know what the depths are. Some of them might be nine. I don't know. I mean, 13 by nine seems pretty standard. And Agreed. oftentimes I use that as just my only rack tom. So I'm just comfortable with that size. I don't think if it was a 12, but a nine inch deep, I would really notice it. Um, but I know, like, my Premier kit is a 12 and it's eight inches deep. Yeah. That actually feels kind of shallow to me now. So really? I think it's probably because wow. I just use the, the 9 by 13 so often. Too much, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know yeah. what would be the, the advantages. Maybe they could just cut them all the same depth. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess it would give you a little I, extra, like, volume threshold. I mean, as somebody that spends a lot of time in drum shops, just because I'm always doing clinic tours, I haven't seen a lot of 9 by 12s. It seems like twelve or eight by twelve is still the standard, the industry standard. Yeah. If I wanted an, a nine by twelve in anything that Gretsch makes besides a USA custom, I mean, I would have to put in a call and it'd be a special order, and it would it would be a bit of a headache. Like it's not one of the things they offer. So uh, it could just be that you know you're lucking out and just seeing a bunch of nine by twelves. But uh, yeah, if I had a twenty two and I wanted to have a somewhat flat rack tom, that nine that extra inch it it is substantial and you'll notice it for sure all right want to do one more one more this one's from matt what is the purpose in putting little fins in gaff tape when using it as muffling Ooh, i do that so why do you do it 
because Russ McKinnon did it when I was 16 <laughs> at a clinic. <laughs> and I was teching for the clinic, and I, I, I didn't ask why he did it. So I was like, well, it's got to be better. Now, the, the concept was I actually did ask Russ at the time. And if you got – I haven't heard from him in a long time or seen anything about him. But he was he was a dude back in the day, man. Was that the took over power, the Tower right? Power yeah, gig? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so um, I was teching his clinic. He, he did a clinic at the shop that I was working at. I guess I was seventeen then. And uh, yeah, he grabbed a bunch of gaff tape and started putting little fins in it, like and little ridges. Mm-hmm. And he said that as the sound, the overtones were coming out of the drum because the drum is a cylinder. The overtones were going to come out in kind of a circular pattern and that those little fins would knock down the overtones. Yeah. That's... And I totally had known nothing about the physics of sound. And so I was like, yep, I'm doing it for the rest of my life. I can tell you this. It, there is a difference between putting those fins in and then just putting that exact same amount of tape flat. I can definitely hear the difference. Interesting. I've never I even, think. I think the only <laughs> explanation I heard was it mainly for session guys. It's easy to pull it off. If you don't, if you want to get rid of it, like that sounds like a much more plausible explanation, <laughs> but I'm going to go with mine because that I don't, I don't like the common sense thing. That uh, seems yeah. a little too possible. I don't subscribe um, to bro science. Sorry. Oh man, that's the best kind. How do you think we ended up with that Travis Barker, uh, 22 by 46 bass yeah, drum? Right. That's bro it's science louder, right there. Man. Louder. Look how big it is. Look how big it is. It's a cannon. It's like, uh, it's not, it actually goes kick. It sounds terrible. Uh, that's uh, I mean, yeah, I guess time. I don't. I've never tested it. I would think it. I think it just adds more mass without covering more of the head. Therefore, yeah. it may be. I don't. What would be the theory? It it controls overtone without deadening the drum better. I don't know. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where I'm doing more internal muffling. I've got cotton balls in my rack tom. I've got about ten cotton balls in my floor tom. So I'm controlling the resonance through the bottom head that way i can still have the feel and, and mm. attack that i like out of the top head on my single ply coated heads i've got uh my prototype snare drum has internal muffle inside of it uh so i'm kind of doing it all internally anyway so i'm not really using gaff tape but but if i go to a shop i still do it but i think i just do it out of habit I don't have like a concrete reason. All right, everybody, please keep sending in your questions. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. We will always try to get to a minimum of three if we can't uh, get to more. And you can always send audio questions as well. It's awesome for us to get a chance to hear your voice. Now it's time for the picks of the week. Um, Okay, so I'm going to go with an app that I've been using constantly for video editing in order to get it the right, uh, what is the term, aspect ratio. You're is doing that very well? Is that today, what Michael. it is? <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about yet. But aspect ratio is real because I'm doing. I'm trying to get it in sixteen by nine. Yeah, to do like Instagram stories and not have to turn the side the phone sideways and whatever. Uh, oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. The, the app is InShot. It's been um, great for me. That's what I use for all my uh, video editing for social media. I can do different aspect ratios. It has some basic effects and and you know, can adjust the color and all that kind of stuff. So it's free. InShot, um, don't 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 buy into having to purchase the extra filters and stuff. You don't need it, but it's cool. InShot. So if you're looking for something to just do quick video editing for social media, that's been the key for me. Boom! There you go, man. Uh, my pick of the week. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell we're doing? <laughs> Is this thing on? Um, Does this show over yet? <laughs> Still a little jet lagging. You know. Literally, dude, I, I got off the plane and then I closed my eyes and I woke up and I was teaching ten hour 
That's days. crazy, dude. So, That's crazy. Uh, so yeah, and then I just I told my brain I will let you sleep. You just have to not don't do the jet lag thing now because I don't want to be. You know, this guy paid to be here. I don't want to be falling asleep during his lesson. So <laughs> it's starting to hit me now. But um, so my pick would definitely be the new, and yes, I am an endorsed artist. I understand that. But the new Foundry Reserve 15-inch hi-hats. Uh, I've, never, I've never done what I did, which is, I will say this, as a minor artist, you got to, dude, is that a mouse? What was that? I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> That's a mouse. There's no way that's not a mouse. I can't even think of my pick of the week right now. I'm all messed up. Ooh. Not a fan of the rodents. Not a fan of the rodents. Okay. So my pick of the week is the Foundry Reserve 15-inch hi-hats. Uh, what I was going to say is, as a minor artist, as long as it's within reason, I don't feel bad. If I'm out on a clinic tour and I find an 18-inch crash, like the one that I play, but I love it way more than mine because these things are handmade. They're all slightly different. I don't feel bad calling my rep and just saying, do you mind, can I have this one um, from this shop? And we, whatever. We go through the whole rigmarole. Mm-hmm. No big deal. I, uh, with these, it's a totally different story. These are very limited in supply. They're on back order everywhere in the world right now. So it wasn't as simple as like, oh, these are really cool. Can I have them? I, had, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to make the call. And I told Norbert, if you need me to pay for them, I'll pay for them. Uh, but I didn't know if they were, it wasn't even a problem of that. I didn't know if they were already promised to another store or a customer. Cause a lot of times it might be on your last clinic, you're going to leave all the symbols there. Yeah, they've already they bought, bought your symbol. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, Oh please. I just, I really, I haven't been this gear geeked out in so long. It felt like cameras and lenses all over again. And I could not wait to get to the next store every day just to take those hi-hats out, put them on my kit, and start playing. And it, it literally happened from the first chick with my left foot. We put the hats on. I closed them. And then my eyes lit up to my rep that was out there with me. Just I was like, uh, this, is, this is the reason I don't have signature hi-hats. You know, I mean, you were, you've been a part of it. I had the 15-inch butter hats. And when Meinl said, okay, are these going to be your signature hi-hats? I said, no, I just I can't commit to them. I don't know why, but... I feel too impressionable right now, and I'm so happy I didn't because these hats. I feel like these hats. And you have you had a chance to demo them yet or try them out? Besides no. Nam, no, I okay. just heard other people play them. They sound really nice. This is, I think, what was missing in Meinl's lineup. Uh, you know, somebody said, "Oh, I really love the Istanbul Agop, whatever, 15 inch high hats." It's like, yeah, yeah. Then you should get them because mm. I have nothing to tell you. Uh, this is what was missing. They are expensive for sure. I mean, this is as high end as it gets for Meinl, but worth every penny. So if you're looking to get some 15-inch, and the 14s are amazing too, check out the Foundry Reserve uh, line of cymbals. And uh, so I'll be playing those hi-hats. Hopefully, they feel like legacy hats. Like I want to have them for mm. the rest of my life. Like I have the key of destiny, unless somebody stole it again. But only you would know that. You're the jerk that started the whole damn thing. <laughs> no, I didn't. Start Karen it. and Ernie, well, you were st- in on it. I just agreed you were to in it. on it. <laughs> you sons of guns! All right, everybody, have an amazing day. Who's our outro group? Uh, we need more beats, so please send your beats in mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Our, this, today's is a really cool one. This is Evan, Evan Holler, who I met at PASIC uh, a couple yeah, times. Evan's awesome. He, yeah, he's he's uh, one of our students. Really good dude. So this is an homage to the show. So what he's doing is he's, he's a duet playing between himself and the planet Venus. So the oh, Venus element bro. is for you. And then you. he's playing to the, what's he say? He's got the electromagnetic vibrations from Venus transformed into sound. 
and then he's using some of the stuff that I taught. Pasic, improvising with singles and double strokes, that's how he created his groove on the hi-hat and snare. Um, so he's basically having a dialogue between Venus and himself. So let's check it out. This is Evan. He's playing a Zildjian uh, K hi-hats, a 14-inch Japanese snare drum, and a Yamaha hip gig 20-inch uh, bass drum. It's super cool. I'll let this one space out. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right, everybody, have a great week. Later, bud. See you.